Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. This week and next week we're going to be doing, instead of the regular Tanya, we're going to be doing a, um, an essay by the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, on the mitzvah of Avos Yisrael, love your fellow Jew like yourself. Alter Rebbe inserted right in the heart of Tanya, the 32nd chapter of Tanya, Lamed Bey, is the heart of Tanya, inserted the whole idea of love your fellow Jew like yourself, because that's the heart of the Torah. So, the, there's a safer, a book by the Samoch Tzedek that explains um, explains the mitzvah, the reason, the reason behind the mitzvah. And um, just for this week and next, we're going to be doing a little variation. It's from the grandchild of the Alter Rebbe, the Samoch Tzedek, explaining the mitzvah, love your fellow Jew like yourself, explaining it in depth. So. First, he starts out with, he quotes the Torah. It says in the Torah, in the book of Leviticus, in the Torah portion of Kedoshim, a Jew is not allowed to hate, you're not allowed to hate your fellow Jew in your heart. That's a negative. And then there's also a positive mitzvah, to love every Jew. Like the Torah says, love your fellow Jew like yourself. And Rabbi here, he doesn't mention it, but Rabbi Kiva says, this is a general rule in the Torah. This is a great rule in the Torah, a very important rule in the Torah that leads you to all of the mitzvot in man and man. You're not going to insult them, you're not going to steal from them, you're not going to treat them, you're not going to dam- cause damage to their property, etc. But then Hillel, who preceded Rabbi Kiva, actually... Added, Hillel said that it's much deeper than that. Not only is love your fellow Jew like yourself a great principle in the Torah, it's the principle that underlies all the mitzvot in man and man, but Hillel said it even, took it even a step further. Hillel said, we all know the famous saying of Hillel, one of the most famous sayings of Hillel, the most famous saying of Hillel, when the convert came to Hillel and wanted to, wanted to convert, he says, convert me on one foot. Give me the entire Judaism, one Madison Avenue line. Just reduce it to a slogan, a one-line slogan. And first he came to Shammai. Shammai threw him down the stairs. He says, are you insulting me? The Torah, which we spent our entire life studying, you want to reduce it to a a, a slogan, a a one-liner? You're not serious. He threw him down the steps. But he was serious. How do we know he was serious? Because he wasn't discouraged. And he picked himself up and came to Hillel. Which is why Hillel did not reject him. Because when a non-Jew comes to us and wants to convert, the first thing we have to do is reject him. The first thing we have to do is dissuade him, discourage him. You don't have to be Jewish to be connected. You, you're, you could be a Noahide. Hillel went straight to the point. Hillel did not try to dissuade him because Hillel knew that he was sincere. How did Hillel know that he was sincere? Because Shammai, he knew what happened to Shammai. The Shammai threw him down the stairs. And he still came back. That means he's for real. So he says, I will teach you the entire Torah on one foot. A soundbite. One soundbite. The entire Torah. What is it? What you hate. To be done to yourself, don't do to, don't do to your friend. This is the entire Torah. And the rest is coming to that's what Hillel is saying. Hillel is saying something more than Rabbi Kiva. What, Rabbi, Rabbi Kiva? makes sense. This is a great principle in the Torah. This is the underlying principle behind all of the mitzvot in man and man. But to say that this is the entire Torah and everything else is commentary, the entire Torah, including the mitzvot in man and God, what does lighting a Shabbat candle, putting on tefillah, and eating matzah and pesach have to do with what you hate to be done to yourself, don't do unto others? What does it have to do with, with all the mitzvot in the Torah? With offering a sacrifice to Hashem and all the mitzvot in the Torah? The mitzvot man and man, okay, that makes sense. But the mitzvot man and God. And then we have a custom, the Arizal instituted, that before we begin prayer, we open up the line of prayer by saying, 
verbalizing. I accept upon myself to fulfill the mitzvah of love your fellow Jew like yourself. The question is, what's the connection between that and prayer? Why is that the opening line to prayer? What does that have to do with prayer? Praying, I'm praying to Hashem. I acknowledge all my needs come from Hashem. I'm praying to Hashem. I want to connect with Hashem. What does it have to do with love your fellow Jew like yourself? That's very nice and noble. What does it have to do with prayer? Why is this the opening line to prayer, the introduction to prayer? So in order to understand this, he introduces a Kabbalistic concept. He quotes the Arizal, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, the Einstein of Kabbalah. And he's Arizal writes that the secret of the Jewish people is that we are all one organism, like one neshama, like one, one body. And this is the secret of Adam Harishan. Adam Harishan was the soul, the soul of Adam Harishan, Adam, contained all of our souls, the souls of the entire Jewish people. He was like an archetype. He contained everything within him. Every single Jew is a specific organ in this body. So Adam Harishan is like that one organism. Every Jew is an organ. And this explains, Arizal says, this explains how one Jew is responsible for another Jew and one Jew is connected to another Jew. Because the question is, how could you be responsible? How could you be a guarantor? Every Jew is a guarantor for the other Jew. And this is reflected in Allah. A 13-year-old child could make Kiddush for Moses. How can a 13-year-old child make Kiddush for Moses? Because of the principle that all Jews are responsible for each other. So if you have an obligation to do a mitzvah, if it's my obligation, it's my responsibility to make sure you do the mitzvah. So it's in, in a sense, it's my obligation. Therefore, I am obligated. So when I do the mitzvah for you, I make Kiddush for you. It's as if you're making Kiddush. And therefore, you can fulfill your obligation by listening to my Kiddush. But the question is, when it comes to a guarantor, who can be a guarantor for who? If you needed a loan, if you needed a mortgage on your house, and he said that Mr. Ronnie Perlman is going to be your guarantor, the bank would accept it. But if Ronnie Perlman wants to buy a company and he's going to quote you as a guarantor, <laughs> I don't think it's going to cut, cut it. <laughs> what's, how could you be a guarantor for, he's out of your league, he's a billionaire. So if you say that Moshe Rabbeinu can make Kiddush for us and we can fulfill our obligation, a great tzaddik can make Kiddush, okay, he can guarantor, he can be a guarantor for the simple Jew. But that the simplest Jew, the 13-year-old bar mitzvah, he can, boy, he can make Kiddush and he can fulfill the mitzvah for the greatest tzaddik, it makes no sense. But with the analogy of the Ariza, that the Jewish people like one part of one living organism, that's true, what's true in the body. The true in the body is that the body is all connected. The toenail hurts, the brain can't think. And many times you cure the brain through, through, through a procedure in the, in the foot. By easing the pain in the foot, you affect the brain. It's all connected. It's all part of one living organism. And therefore, the simplest Jew could be a guarantor for the, for the brain. Because the blood circulates, the same blood circulates throughout the whole body, from the brain down, down to the toenail. It's all connected. It's one entity. So because Jews are one entity, therefore the simplest Jew is just as connected and could be a guarantor to the greatest. And with this we can also explain, he says, how the Arizal on Yom Kippur would sit in Shul and say, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, I sinned, I stole, I cheated, I lied, I fornicated. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Hashem. And whom is he kidding? He's standing in Shul on Yom Kippur. And you're making a mockery of Hashem? Darizal said, I sinned, I lied, I stole. It's the world Jews. He's saying it for everybody. Oh. You know, they used to say that there's a difference between today and the olden days. The olden times, he says, people told the truth outside the synagogue and they lied in the synagogue. Today's just the opposite. Today, people lie outside the synagogue and they tell the truth inside the synagogue. So the guy thought he was complimenting today's generation. It was the opposite. In the olden days, people were truthful in the marketplace. A word was a word. He didn't need lawyers. He didn't need contracts. My handshake, a word is a word. You can take it to the bank. 
When they came to Shul, they said, I lied, I stole, I cheated. A bunch of lies, a pack of lies. What, you never lied, you never cheated, you never stole. Today it's just the opposite. In the marketplace, people, people lie, cheat, steal. When they come to Shul, they say, I'm a sinner and I confess. You're telling the truth. So how could Arizal, standing on Yom Kippur, the holiest day, stand in front of Hashem and say all these lies? But the answer is because the Jewish people are one living organism and therefore when the toenail hurts, the brain hurts. The brain feels the pain. When something is ill, when the toe is ill, the brain feels, feels it. The brain is the most sensitive part of the body. The brain, all the nerve systems end up in the brain. So the fact that there's a Jew that sins, that Rizal says, I sinned because we're all connected. I feel that pain. And it's my fault, it's my responsibility. Because a part of this organism is not healthy. Ultimately, it's all connected with the brain. So that Rizal was telling the truth. He can say, Ashamnu Bagadnu Gazam. So this is the Kabbalah. Now the, now the Tzemach Tzedek, third Lubavitch Rebbe, comes and explains, elaborates on this point. This Kabbalistic point. And using Hasidic terminology, he says, to understand this, his other Marisha, Adam, his soul included the soul of the entire Jewish people, of Klal Yisrael, the entire Jewish people. There's some generations that were like the brain of the Jewish people, the generation that left Egypt. And yet some generations were like the heart of the Jewish people. We are the soles of the feet, scraping the bottom. We are the bottom, the soles of the feet, the angel of death within the person, the least sensitive part of the body. That's what we are, spiritual. Spiritual mediocrities, midgets. The souls of the souls of the feet. In comparison to the generation, the earlier generation, generation of the Talmudic rabbis, generations of the prophets, generation of Maimonides and Rashi, even earlier generations, the generation, even later generations, earlier than our generation of the Balsam. And, um, and that's why Adam was called Adam. Because Adam comes from the word Adam Elyon. Adam is a reflection of above, from the one above. Because the Adam is a reflection of the world of Atsilus, the world of emanation, the world of unity. And that's why it says that it says when the Medrash says when the angels saw Adam, they bowed down to him. They thought he was God. They never saw any creature like man. There's, nothing, there's no other creature in the universe that's like man. Because everything in this universe is one-dimensional. Animals are one-dimensional. The animals are always kind. The animals are always cruel. One-dimensional. Angels are one-dimensional. You have the angel Michal, who's kind and loving. You have the angel Gavriel, who's always ten, intense and powerful. And, and awe, filled with awe and awe-inspiring. And then you have the angel of, uh, of Raphael, which is compassion. Every angel is one dimension. Every force in the universe is one dimension. There's one exception. Man. Man is a microcosm. We contain the entire universe within us. We're brains, we're intellect, and we're emotions. And emotions, the full kaleidoscope of emotions, one extreme to the other extreme. We have kindness, we have compassion, we have strength and, and restraint, and we have toughness, and then we have compassion. We're body and we're soul, we're physical and we're spiritual. We, we ha- anything that exists in the universe is reflected inside of us. Is organic life. We have organic within us. Besides, we have hair and nails that grow. We have, but we also have the part that corresponds to the organic, the emotions. And you have the animal life. We also have the animal life within us. The life force, the growth, the intellect that roams, that's curious, that's moving around. You have the inanimate. You have every part, everything that's out there is reflected within the person. How is it possible that one entity could contain opposites in such an extreme? And everything could contain everything, a reflection of everything, a slice of life, a slice of everything. This is only within the power of Hashem, because Hashem is infinite, and Hashem is undefined, therefore Hashem contains everything. And that's why the world of emanation is called a divine world. How can you call the world of emanation a divine world, a world where God emanates ten spherot, it's limiting. Ten is limiting. Ten is not nine. Ten is not eleven. You talk, you def- and you're talking about defined 
to find the emanations of Hashem. Hashem's wisdom, Hashem's brilliance, Hashem's kindness, Hashem's compassion, Hashem's strength. How can you call that the world of unity or the world of emanation, a divine world? It's a contradiction in terms. Divine and world are contradictions. A world, by definition, is defined and limited. And divine is infinite. But the answer is because the world of emanation is a unified world. The fact that it's all connected, it's not ten separate svirot. It's the svirot are all interlinked and interconnected and all, all included within the other. That's why each, each chachma wisdom has within it all the other nine and all the other nine have within it, uh, all the other, each of the ten has within it all the other nine. So they're all interlinked, interconnected, interchangeable, which shows that it's a unity. In other words, it's a reflection of Hashem's infinite self. The fact that one entity could contain so, such a diverse range, such opposites, intellect, emotion, and all, and the entire full kaleidoscope of emotion. Just like the human being, which is a reflection, created the image of God. That's what it means a human being is created the image of God. Because we are the only creature in the entire universe that's a microcosm of of the infinite, a microcosm of Hashem, the world of unity. That one entity could contain intellect and emotion and physical and spiritual and and within emotion itself, the full kaleidoscope of emotion, all simultaneously. This, even though it's finite, of course we're finite, but it's a reflection of the infinite. And the angels never encountered anything like it. They saw Adam, they bowed down, they saw he was God. So Adam, Adam reflects something godly. His soul was a reflection of the infinite of something godly. His soul was a soul from the world of emanation, from the divine world, the divine world of unity. And that's the world that the Kabbalists refer to as the world of Tikkun. And the world of Mah. There are many different ways to write Hashem's name, if you spell out Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke, there are many different ways to write out, if you spell out the letters, Yud, if you write it out, each letter, if you spell out each letter separately, Yud is Yud, Vav, Dalet. Yud is numerical value of 10, Vav is numerical value of 6, Dalet is numerical value of 4. So that's 20. So Yud is 20. Numerical value of 20. Then you have Hey. How do you spell out hey? There are three different ways to spell out hey. I can spell out hey Aleph. I can spell out hey hey. Or I can spell out hey hey Yud. Hey Aleph is the least numerical value. It's hey is five. Aleph is one. So it's six. Hashem's name is two hey's. Yud, hey, vav, hey. So two hey's. Let's say it's hey Aleph. It's the minimum. So it's six and six is twelve. So what are we up to? 32. We have 20 plus 12, 32. Then Vav. So how do you spell Vav? So you spell Vav. Vav is Vav is 6. Vav, Vav, Aleph, Vav. That's 13. So 13 plus 32 is 45. That's the minimal. The minimal name of Hashem has numerical value, minimal numerical value of 45. If you spell it hey hey, instead of the hey aleph, you spell hey hey. Hey hey is, is 10. So you have two hey's, that's 20. 20 and, um, and yud, so that's 40. And then you have Vav. Vav Vav is 12. So it's 40 plus, uh, plus 12 is 52. That's, that's the name Ban. The Kabbalists refer to as Hashem's name as the name Ban. Which is also the numerical value of Behema. Animal. Animal is the name Ban. The numerical value of animal is Ma. Hey, ma, ma is 45, and Bez is 2, and Hey is 5, so 7. 7 plus, plus 45 is 52. What's the numerical value of Adam? 
What's the numerical value of Adam? 45, ma. Because the soul of man comes from the world of ma, which is Hashem's name, which is the world of emanation, the world of mending, the world of unity, the world of Atzilus, which is a divine world. It's a world and it's divine. The root of the soul of an animal, which is one-dimensional, comes from the world that precedes the world of mending, the world of chaos, which is a more intense world, a higher world that precedes it. A deeper source. That's the world of Behemah. Behemah is the world of Ban. It's Hashem's name, which is a greater numerical value, which means it's more intense. Hashem's light is more intense. Why, why is the world of Ma, why is that the world of mending? Because the word Ma comes from the word, I don't know, Ma, what is it? Which, sign, which is a sign of bittel, of self-nullification. There's no ego. What is it? There's no I. And when there's no I, when there's no ego, then you can have, then there's a flexibility. Then each of the ten spherot could in, be inclusive, could include the other spherot, even its opposite. And they all borrow from each other and learn from each other and there's a flexibility. When a person, when a person is rigid and egotistical, there's no room for anyone besides himself. Because then, then you're, you're extreme. Like children. Children are very emotional. Children like animals in that sense. Very emotional and extremists. They can't compromise. They can't. There's no flexibility. It's like, it's my way or, or, or no way. The high. A person who has a mind, a person who is, has a certain flexibility. He can see the other side of the argument. It's not so rigid. It has to be my way. I can see there's another way of looking at it. And your way is maybe right. And I can learn from you. A person, the more intellectually developed a person is, the less, the less rigid they are, the less they stand in the ceremony. There's a flexibility. But the less, when a person is not mature, doesn't have that maturity, doesn't have that bittle, that self-nullification, doesn't have flexibility, very rigid and very extreme, and there's no room for anyone else. It's my way or that's it. You can't put yourself in another person's shoes. You can't see the situation from a different point of view. It's impossible. It's, it's total self-absorption to an extreme. And that's emotion, that's animalistic. They're emotions. There's certain mothers that love their children so much, they smother them to death. They can't let go. They don't know when to stop. There's no limit. Everything has to have a limit. When you're able to limit, then, then there's room for, for independence. There's room for something else. But that comes from the world of Mah. That comes from the world of Tikkun, the world of Atzilus. It's less intense. But on the other hand, it's a greater bittle. There's less ego. And therefore, there's a tremendous flexibility and interrelationship and interconnection and... and each one incorporates its opposite and learns from each other. And that's the beautiful world of blending, the beautiful world of mending, the world of Tikkun, the world of Atzilus of emanation. And that's the source of man's soul. That's why man is able to contain opposites within. He's not one dimension. While animals are one dimension, angels are one dimension. Holy animals. We say in Davni, holy animals. Because it, it's a love which is like animalistic in a sense. Holy, but it's animalistic. It's one-dimensional, very intense, very powerful, but there's no room for anything, anything else. So therefore, that ability to be able to blend and to be able to mix and to be able to... That flexibility comes from a result of that bittle, from that reflection of the infinite. Because a person, that bittle, therefore you're able to absorb the infinite and you're able to contain even opposites. So the soul of man, which is able to contain opposites, is really a taste, a reflection, a reflection, okay, in the image of God. We're a reflection from that, that unity, from that divine unity. And therefore, all souls, the Jewish people, which are all included in the soul of Adam, are all connected, just like the human organism. The human organism, even though the human organism is so diverse, you have a brain, you have a heart, you have a liver, you have hair, you have toenails, 248 limbs, and 365 veins, and yet it's all interlinked, it's all interconnected. It's one, there's a unity. The blood pulsates throughout the whole body, the same blood circulates and travels throughout the whole body. It's the same blood, because it's, there's a unity. It's all interlinked, it's all interconnected. There's no politics in the human organism. 
No one is arguing who's the president and who's the king and who's the boss. And it's all one. They're all in this together. Even though a heart is a heart and a liver is a liver, but they're all connected. They're all in this together. Each learns from the other. Each depends on the other. Each respects the other. And each one feels as if they're indispensable. And they are to the whole. But they all feel they're part of a whole. All part of something larger than their own individual identity. And therefore they all connect with each other. And if you cure one part of the body, it, it brings a, a, heal, a healing to the, to the rest of the organism. But who f- senses this unity? It's the brain that senses this unity. That's why the brain is the command and control center of the whole body. That's why all the nerve systems end up in the brain. The brain senses all the pain. Toenail hurts. It's the brain that feels the pain. Why? Because the brain, in addition to being one specific organ, the brain, first and foremost, the brain senses the whole. The brain senses that the body is, is, a, is a holistic, one indivisible organism. Not a liver and a heart and each one doing their function and there's no connection. The brain senses that the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. That every organ in the body is part of something larger than themselves. The brain is, is larger than being just a brain. The brain is part of one whole. And it's the brain's job to instill that sense in every organ of the body. That the liver should realize, I'm not just a liver, an isolated liver operating in isolation. I am part of a whole. And the heart should realize, I'm not just being a heart. I am part of something larger than the heart. And the brain should realize, I'm not just being a brain. I am part of something larger than the eyes and every organ in the body. And I'm part of that whole, of that, of that unity. So that's the mission of the brain to instill, and that's why the brain connects and interlinks all the organs in the body. And it, it unites, unites, it brings a sense of unity to the entire organism. And that's why the brain senses all the nerve systems ends up in the brain. And the reason for that is, why is the brain the command and control center? Why is the brain sense the whole? Because ultimately... Where does the child come from? The child comes from the brain of the parent, of the father. The sperm is really a concretization which originates, spiritually, which originates from the brain of the father. The sperm is really, originates from the spine, but it originates from the brain of the father, which is why the parent gives everything they have to the child. Blind parents are able to give birth to children who see. But they give everything they have. You give your whole essence you, you put into that sperm. It's not like a teacher-student relationship. The student has to come with his head before he steps his foot into the classroom. And then the teacher can teach him. A parent gives his child a head. <laughs> he gives him his head. You give everything you have, you give to your child. You give yourself to your child. Because it all originates from, 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 from your mind. And therefore the mind of the child is really connected to its source. It senses that source and it senses that, that sense of wholeness, that sense, that sense of unity. So even though, even though the human organism is divided into so many different parts, down to the toenail, but nevertheless... It's the brain that senses, senses the whole. And therefore, that explains why the Ariza, who was the brain of the Jewish people, he was the Rebbe of the Jewish people, he was the, Mo- the Moses of his generation, he felt the entire Jewish people. So if there's one sinner in the end of the world who sinned, he, he felt that pain. And he can honestly say, come to Shul, Anyam Kippur, turn to Hashem and say, Ashamnu, I stole and I lied and I fornicated and I did all that. Is all. Because that Jew's sin is my sin. Because we're all connected. We're all one. And it's the brain that feels, ultimately feels the pain. More so than the individual organ. And ultimately the brain is responsible. The previous Lubavitcher everyone said, he says, when you slap a child, the child misbehaves, you slap a child. Where do you slap the child? You slap him on the panim, on the face. Why do you slap the panim? 
it was usually the hands that, that did the mischief. Why are you slapping the face? What did the face do? The poor cheek. Why, why are you slapping? Because the face is it's the head's responsibility. If the head was a head, you wouldn't allow the hands to be attacked, built, act wild. Ultimately, whose responsibility is it? When the Jewish people are not living up to their potential, whose responsibility ultimately? Ultimately, it's the head's responsibility. That's one of the reasons why the high priest, um, someone who murdered someone accidentally, had to stay in the city of refuge till the high priest passed away. Because in a certain sense, the high priest was responsible. Because were he to be, thank you, were he to be a genuine tzaddik, how can he allow someone in his generation, how could something so terrible happen in, in his, his lifetime, in his generation? But this explains, at least to my mind, why Hasidim are trying to get every Jew involved. Because if you think of it like one organism, the whole organism has to be on track in order for other things to happen. Why can she have? <laughs> In the language of Rav Shimon Bayechoy, Rav Shimon Bayechoy really illustrated this concept very powerfully. Rav Shimon Bayechoy said, if there was one Jew missing at Mount Sinai, Moses cannot receive the Torah. There were 600,000 Jews. If there was one Jew, or just one Jew, the simplest Jew, if he was not present, Torah cannot be given. Moses cannot receive the Torah. And he gives a very vivid example. The whole concept of Jews are responsible for each other. He says, imagine everyone's going on a cruise, a very expensive cruise. And one person rents out the cabin on the bottom of the boat. And he decides to drill a hole in his cabin. <laughs> they come to him and they try to stop him. He says, well, it's my cabin. I paid for it. I can do whatever I want. It's a free country. I paid full price for it. It's none of your business. I'll do as I please. I'll live as I please. No, imagine how foolish that sounds. <laughs> you go under, we all go under. We're all in this together, we're on the boat together. So, well, Jews are responsible for each other. What one Jew does privately, alone, he thinks to himself, it's my life. I own my life, I control my life. It's none of your business. It's none of your business. What happens to that Jew affects the entire Jewish people. So if we're sitting at a Seder and we're enjoying the experience and we're spending Shabbos and we're enjoying it, we're studying Torah and we're... And we're luxuriating in the fact that we're observant and we love it and we're connected and we enjoy it and we appreciate it and we can't get enough of it. But then you go down the street and there's a Jew who's totally unaware, ignorant, alienated, distant, maybe even self-hating. You can't say something. You can't wash your hands and say, it's none of my business. I'm learning Torah. I'm lost in the sea of Talmud. What do I care? I have to worry about God's world? It's my responsibility. I saved myself. I saved my family. Like Noah. And I saved, I saved my family. So the world is going to hell. What's my, my problem? I'm safe. My family is safe. It's none of my business. Let Hashem worry about His world. That's not, that's not a Jewish response. That's good for Noah. Noah is a non-Jew. But it's not good for a Jew. Because Jews are all responsible for each other. Jews are all connected. If there's one Jew missing, then we're all missing. We're all lacking. We're all crippled. One pinky missing, the whole organism is a cripple. But the heart is vigorous. The mind is sharp. Yeah, but you're missing a pinky. You're a cripple. One Jew is missing. And the entire Jewish people are missing. But who feels that pain most acutely? It's the greatest Jew. It's the Rebbe, the brain. What's the acronym for the word Rebbe? Roj Pnei Yisrael. He's the brain of the Jewish people. He feels the pain more acutely than anyone else. He can't sleep. There's a living organism that's being torn away. It's being severed. You can't just go to sleep and be indifferent. That's why the Rebbe sent his personal emissaries to every corner of the world, literally. Wherever there's a Jewish community, literally, there isn't a single Jewish community in the world today without the Rebbe's personal representative representing him, trying to reach out and connect and reconnect that organism back, that organ back to the living, dynamic organism, Jewish organism. That, that they should become consciously Jewish. Every Jew is connected. But that connection should be a conscious connection. Visible. See, right? Yes. And that's why we're commanded to love every Jew with all our heart and all soul because just like you love yourself, because the other Jew is yourself in a way. Yes, you're the heart, he's the liver, he's the liver, you're the heart. What difference does it make? The right hand, the left hand, as the Jerusalem Talmud says, the Torah says, you're not allowed to take revenge. The Jew asks you for favor. 
he refused, and then you, he asks you for a favor, you can't say, I'm going to take revenge. You didn't help me. Now you need me. And the Torah says, even more so. You're not allowed to bear a grudge. Not only aren't you allowed to take, even if you don't take revenge. He acted unkindly to you. And you say, no, I'm going to do the right thing. But when you, when you lend them the thing, you, you tell them, you should know, I'm very upset at you, because um, when you had a chance to help me out. And I relied on you, and I depended on you. You turned me down. But I'm not going to be like you, and I'm going to lend you anyway. You're being a grudge. You're not allowed to be a grudge. Jerusalem Thomas says, how is it possible? A Jew shouldn't take revenge, not to be a grudge. Are we inhuman? Are we, are we supermen? Are we angels? What do you mean a Jew shouldn't take revenge or bear a grudge against his fellow Jew? And he has a right to bear a grudge. Because when he, in his moment of need, that person wasn't there for him. So Jerusalem gives a simple analogy. He says, imagine your left hand caused, caused some mischief, caused some trouble. So what are you going to do? The right hand is going to slap the left hand? Who are you slapping? The right hand, left hand, it's you. It's all you. You're hitting yourself, you're going to beat yourself up. When you take revenge against a fellow Jew, when you bear a grudge against a fellow Jew, it's not like two separate entities. There's I and there's the other Jew. There isn't, it's one entity, it's one dynamic organism. You're all one, you're inseparable, you're connected. You're not two hands, you're one organism. So what, one part of you is going to hit the other part? So, that's why the Torah says, love your fellow Jew like yourself, because it is yourself. You and the other Jew, it's yourself, it's all one. And that's why Arizal instituted that we should introduce the davening by saying, verbalizing and saying, I accept upon myself, I accept upon myself to fulfill the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew like yourself. Why is that the introduction to davening? Because what is the whole purpose of davening? The whole purpose of davening is that we offer ourselves as a spiritual sacrifice to Hashem. We offer ourselves to come close to Hashem. In the temple, in order to bring a sacrifice, the sacrifice had to be complete without any blemish. You're not allowed to offer a sacrifice that has a blemish. So if you're presenting to Hashem, you're trying to elevate yourself to Hashem and offer yourself to Hashem, you have to be whole. If there's hatred in your heart to one Jew, that means you're missing a Jew. You're missing an organ. One of your organs is missing. How can you present Hashem, present yourself before Hashem in davening with a missing organ? You're incomplete. You're, you're a defect. You're, you have a defect, and you're disqualified from being offered on the altar, from being coming close to Hashem. But you don't just think it; you say it. I take. I'm taking upon myself. I take upon myself to fulfill the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew like yourself. You're making a resolution for the day. I'm taking upon myself to fulfill the, fulfill the mitzvah. You don't just think it. It's not enough to think it, to actually verbalize it. I'm making a resolution. I'm taking upon myself to fulfill this mitzvah today, this day, to fulfill this mitzvah, loving your fellow Jew like myself. So because it's a commitment, it suffices. Yeah, it's, it's a genuine commitment. You're not just mouthing the words. You understand what you're saying, and you mean it. Davening is about standing in front of Hashem. So you're meaning it. You mean what you say. You say what you mean. You mean what you say. It's for real. Just like you ask Hashem for healing and for business, you, you mean what you say and you say what you mean. It's real. I need, uh, I need uh, money yesterday. And I need healing today, immediately, instantly. So when you're standing and davening, every word you say in front of Hashem is for real. So you're saying, I'm in front of Hashem. Hashem is my witness. I take upon myself to fulfill the mitzvah that Hashem gave us, to love your fellow Jew like yourself. How do you... How do you show, present yourself in front of Hashem that you're one, that you're whole? Through having friends and through loving your fellow Jew like yourself. And when one Jew feels that the other Jew, it's my, it's my right hand, my left hand, it's all one. We're all connected. We're all in this together. Every Jew is an organ of one, same, the same entity, of one inseparable reality. So therefore, when you hate a fellow Jew, it's as if you're severing an organ. You're amputating an organ. Your organ. You're separating a piece of yourself from yourself. You're alienating a piece of yourself from yourself. You're cutting off your finger. And then you come in front of Hashem. I'm davening. I'm holy. I'm mystical. I'm spiritual. Hashem says, what holy? Throw, throw this animal off of the altar. This is disqualified. It's not a kosher animal. You're holy. You're mystical. You're wrapped in the holiness. 
you hate a fellow Jew? You hate my a piece of me? A neshama? A yid who has a neshama? The same neshama that you have? What makes you Jewish? What's your connection to me? You have a piece of the divine essence. The other Jew has the same divine essence. You're all connected. You're all one. How can you say, I love Hashem, I'm standing in front of Hashem, but I hate this Jew? It's a disconnect. It's, 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 a, it's a dissonance. It makes no sense. It's grinding to the ears. It doesn't make any sense. Hashem says, you're not, you're not qualified. So, before you stand to Davin, you have to clear your heart of any hatred you have in your heart. You have to accept upon yourself and mean it and say, clear your heart. If any arteries are clogged, you've got to clear, clear the... Clear the system and allow the blood to flow through the whole organism. That's a sign of a healthy organism. If there's a hatred in the heart, there's a clogging in the heart, the blow can flow, the blood can flow. It creates heart attacks and it creates creates blood clots and it creates strokes. And, because it's not a healthy it's not a healthy situation. When a Jew hates his fellow Jew and alienates himself from his fellow Jew, then he's he's not a whole, he's not a healthy person. He's not a whole. He has a defect. So how can you present in front of Hashem? You can't present yourself in front of Hashem. You want to become one with Hashem? You want to be elevated? You come close to Hashem? You're not in your situation. So before you start, the beginning, the introduction, the condition is, fulfill the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew like yourself. And mean it. Clear your heart. Love every Jew. Even a Jew mistreated you. It's easy to love a Jew that's lovable. The mitzvah to love your fellow Jew like yourself is not to love a Jew that's lovable. Of course, <laughs> who, who, who can't love a Rabbi Yitzchak by Ditcher? Who can't love a tzaddik, a saint, a selfless person? It's easy to love a person who's lovable. That's not the mitzvah to love your fellow Jew like yourself. Because we love ourselves even though we're not lovable. <laughs> we love ourselves unconditionally. The mitzvah to love your fellow Jew like yourself is love a Jew who's not lovable, disagreeable, a Jew you want to take revenge. Who's worthy, maybe, of taking revenge because he's such, so miserable? He acted so miserable to you. A Jew who you want to bear a grudge. He's worthy of bearing a grudge because he's a miserable human being. He acted so miserable, so mean, so stingy. And yet the Torah says, not only don't take revenge, don't bear a grudge. You love him. He can't love. It's his problem. How but do you, you love somebody you want to hate? So, firstly, the in Judaism in general. The mitzvot are about, not about things that are natural and instinctive. If everything was natural and instinctive, you wouldn't need a mitzvah. A mitzvah means, naturally, I wouldn't love this person. Or instinctively, I wouldn't love this person. And yet, the mitzvah states, treat them with respect. Treat them in a loving way, anyway. That's the superficial answer. The deeper answer is because the good news is that the love already exists. It's there. It's like, a, a, it's like in a family. Jewish people are family. We're all one. We're all connected. And there are moments of truth during the Six-Day War. There were, like, I think, like 30 parties in Israel before the Six-Day War. And that moment of truth, Jews united like one. There was no parties, there was no right, there was no left, there was no middle, there was, there was just one. Jews all around the world united as one. It's a tremendous unity. In that raw moment, when a raw nerve was exposed, when the very existence and survival of the Jewish people, the Jewish community in Israel was at stake, in that moment of truth, crisis can't create something that's not there. Crisis can only reveal what's buried, what's dormant. So that unity emerged and surfaced. But that unity exists all the time. The non-Jew sees it. The non-Jew looks at a Jew as one. They don't differentiate. Religious, not religious, self-hating, not self-hating. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll get a first-class ticket to Auschwitz and you'll be in the back. It's, but you're all going to the same direction, the same place. There's no differentiation, there's no distinction. Because Jews are one. So the good news is you don't have to create something that's not there. You just have to tap in and reveal that truth. Just connect with that truth. Connect with the Jew with inside of you. If you connect with the Jew inside of you, you'll see the Jew inside the other Jew also. And just like the Jew with inside of you is a divine spark, nothing to do with your effort, your achievement, your accomplishment, your, religious, your religiosity, your intensity, your, your mystical bent. It's innate, it's inherent, you're born with it, it comes from Hashem. 
We're his chosen people. The other Jew has it equally. Whether they're worthy or not worthy, whether they know it or aware of it or not aware of it, whether they live up to it or don't live up to it, it doesn't change, it doesn't change reality by one iota. So if you appreciate the Jew within yourself, you'll see the Jew in the other Jew. And you'll love the Jew within the other Jew. It doesn't mean I have to love everything the other Jew does. Not everything a Jew does is, is Jewish, holy, and godly. But you, can, you see the essence of the other Jew, and you love them for that. When a person is meditating and deluding himself that he's already soaring in heaven and he's already grabbing God by the, by, by, by the tail and, and he's grabbing angels and, uh, you know, maybe he has a healthy imagination and he's, he's deluding himself. You know, spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. How do I know it's genuine or it's totally delusional? And this is the test. Are you respectful of every Jew? Are you kind to every Jew? Then I know you're a godly person. You have a a genuine point to you. You have a selflessness. You have a goodness to you. And that goodness will inevitably lead you to Torah. And inevitably it will lead you to loving, loving of Hashem. It's inevitable. It's like that beautiful story with the with two best friends grew up together. And then they married and they parted. One moved to a different city. One of the friends who stayed behind grew very wealthy, became very wealthy. And the other one never had no mazel. He was actually mazel, had no mazel. He had a large family. He couldn't, couldn't make ends meet. Anyway, finally came time to marry off his daughter. In the beginning, they kept in touch with his friends. But over the years, you know, they grew. And his wife says, listen, your best friend that you grew up with, you grew up together from kindergarten. He's a multimillionaire. He loves you. Go to him and say, please, ask him for a loan. He'll help you. He says, you know, it's a great idea. So he writes to his friend, I'm coming to visit. His friend was so excited. He says, please, come. Anyway, he travels. He couldn't afford. He walks. And he comes. It's the middle of the night. How is he going to... He can't knock on his friend's door in the middle of the night. So he decided to go to the park bench. And to sleep, sleep at night in the park bench. Couldn't afford a hotel. That night there was a robbery in the, in the, in the uh, church. They stole all the jewelry and, and the police are searching the city and they see oh, a stranger in town on the park bench. He must be the Ghana. They haul him off to prison and they accuse him of that. Meanwhile, the morning, the morning, it's morning time, and uh, his friend is expecting his friend, and he's worried, you know, he wrote, he's supposed to be here already. So he goes out to look for him, and he sees a whole commotion, the whole town is talking. There was a robbery, and, the, and they, they found the Ganev, and they're holding away the Ganev, and he sees his friend. He says, what? My friend? Sure, he couldn't have stolen it. He realized right away what happened. He was a stranger, he was in town, and they, they, they just, he was the most convenient victim. He goes to the, he pushes him his way into the police station and he says, Let him free. He's innocent. He says, How do you know he's innocent? The police chief says, Because I am the gun. I stole the money. Because he knew he can afford to pay back. They'll release his friend. They come to his friend, they unshackle him, they say, You're free. We found the gun. He says, Okay, very good. As he walks out, he sees his friend is being put into shackles. He realizes in one split second what happened there, that his friend took the blame just to free him. So he says, no, 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 no. He says, free that man. I'm the Ganon. And they're having an argument. This one says, I'm the Ganon. This one says, I'm the Ganon. This one says, no, don't believe him. He's a liar. I'm the Ganon. The police chief was flabbergasted. In the history of his life, he never saw anything like this in his life. In the history books of crime, this was never, never, this never happened before. <laughs> you have two people arguing. I'm the Ghana, free him. He's innocent. I'm the Ghana. Anyway, he didn't know what to do, so they brought it to the Paris. They brought it to the, the king of the city. And he listens to he listens to both sides, and he says, "Listen, I'm freeing both of you because one thing I'm certain of. I can swear on my mother's life that neither of you stole any of it. Anyone." who can be so selfless and be so kind and considerate and, and good and affectionate and caring. I know for sure not, none of you could even steal a penny from anyone. It's not even a question. All I ask of you is one thing. 
He says, please include me in your friendship. So a person who has Avis Yisrael, who's respectful and kind, this is a good person. He's a godly person. He's in touch with Hashem. He's in touch with his neshama. And inevitably, since he's in touch with his neshama, inevitably he'll find his way to Torah and Mitzvot, which are divine and neshama. And he'll find his way to Hashem and loving of Hashem. It's inevitable. But a person who hides behind religion, oh, I love Hashem. But in the meanwhile, I'm going to beat up on this one. I'm going to denigrate this one. I'm going to humiliate this one. I'm going to be disrespectful to this one. This person is rotten to the core because he's deluded. He's connected to Hashem like, 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 like you're connected to... There's no connection. But he's deluded. And he's hiding behind religion. That's why in Judaism there's no room for fanaticism. You can't hide behind religion and become a fanatic and beat up on other people. It's impossible. Because you have no connection to Hashem. That's the sign of truth, whether it's for real or not. Whether it's genuine, selfless, kind, or coming from the Shaman. And that's why... A prayer is supposed to substitute is supposed to substitute a sacrifice. And when it, when it comes to the laws of a sacrifice, the Torah says that an animal that has a single defect is disqualified from being offered as a, a sacrifice to Hashem. Because Hashem is perfect. The infinite light which contains everything is a reflection of the infinite, of the whole, of perfection. And therefore there's no room for anything less than perfection. So therefore, when you want to come close to Hashem, you have to be perfect. You have to be whole. How can a Jew be whole? The only way a Jew can be whole is when you love your fellow Jew like yourself. As the commentaries say, it says, before the Jewish people receive the Torah, we have a description of the Torah in last week's Torah portion, when we receive the Torah, and then this week's Torah portion, at the end of the Torah goes back to the beginning of the, of the preparation of receiving of the Torah. So in this week's Torah portion it says, the Jewish people says, we will do, Nasa and Nishma, we will listen. In the previous Torah portion, it just says Nasa, but it says, all the Jewish people said, we will do. He says, what's the difference? He says, because, why are there 613 mitzvot? Because since a person has 248 limbs, so there are 248 positive mitzvot. There are 365 don'ts, prohibitions corresponding to the 365 veins in the person. So a person is whole only when he fulfills all 613 mitzvot, which begs the obvious question. It's impossible for any individual to fulfill all 613 mitzvot. Simply because there are mitzvot that only apply to, to the kayan. That mitzvah only applied to the levy. That mitzvah only applied to women. That mitzvah only applied to men. That mitzvah that only applied to the king. It's impossible. How can one person fulfill all 613 mitzvah? The answer is there are two ways, two options. One is, when a Jew studies Torah, Hashem counts it as if, as if you're fulfilling the mitzvah. That's why we read from the Torah, we read about the sacrifices. Today we don't have a temple. When you read about the sacrifices, Hashem counts it as if you've offered the sacrifice. When you read about building the temple, Hashem counts it as if you're building the temple. So therefore, you can read about the laws of a Kayan, even though you can't be a Kayan, you're not a Kayan, but Hashem counts it as if, as if you're doing it. That's why in this week's Pasha it says in the singular, when every Jew said, Nasa, we will do, Venishma, we will listen, we will learn, we will study. By studying the Torah, you can fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. It's as if you're fulfilled, and therefore you're whole and you're complete. But then there's another option. The entire Jewish people said together, Nasa we will do. Because since Jews are all responsible for each other, Jews are all connected with each other. Therefore, when the king does a mitzvah, he's not just doing it for himself, he's doing it for the entire Jewish people. When the Kayan does a mitzvah, since all Jews love each other and respect each other and all are connected with each other, are responsible for each other. So when he does a mitzvah, it's as if all of the Jewish people did the mitzvah. So when a Jew is connected with the other Jew, then the Jew is whole. He can present himself before Hashem as being, as being a whole person. In Perkyavis it says, uh, you don't judge a fellow Jew until, you stu- until you've been in his position. Actually, the Alter Rebbe, will get to it in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe explains, explains it beautifully in the Tanya. The Alter Rebbe explains because you know, we are quick to judge and to condemn that bum, that low life. But the truth is, if you want to be honest with yourself, what would you do in the same position? 
imagine, it's hard for us even to imagine. Imagine a rapist, a murderer. We, we can't even imagine because we don't have such temptations. But obviously this person must have such overwhelming temptations. So you want this person to control his rage, to control his temptations, to control his uncontrollable urges and instincts. So ask yourself honestly, do you control your own rages and your own instincts? Do you have to struggle on that level? You dismiss that other person. He's a bum, he's a lowlife. Why? Because he had this overwhelming rage and urge and he just couldn't contain himself. And you, the smallest thing that you want, that's a little difficult, you succumb immediately. We don't have those same temptations, thank God. But the temptations that we do have or the areas that we do struggle with, the moment something is a little inconvenient, the moment things are not our way, you know, we, we, we get into a te- temper tantrum, we give up, and we lose energy, and we lose interest. So here you're condemning this, this bum, this low life is good for nothing, and you feel superior to him. Oh, I'm a mensch, I'm a cultured person. This person is, 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 is the biggest drag on earth. Really, who's a bigger drag? Think about it honestly. Maybe we are, because we don't struggle on that level. Do we overcome difficulties in our life that we're making the same demands on this person? And that person's not even educated. We at least have the benefit of having being educated. So we should expect a lot more from ourselves, not less. And here we, we make no expectations of ourselves. Just because it's easy for us, because we're not tempted. That, that's, does that make us a better person? How about the areas in our life that is a struggle for us? So if a person struggles in his life and overcomes his nature and his habits and moves and changes and grows and pushes himself, then you have a right to look at the other person and demand the same thing. Look, I'm growing. You can also do it. It's heroic, it's difficult, you have to overcome tremendous urges and temptations. But at least you can empathize with the person instead of judging and condemning and dismissing and labeling and reducing that person into, into a nothing. Actually, we're, we're pretending to know better. We're pretending because we're critic, critical of them, so we're pretending that we know better. We wouldn't do such a thing. Right. right. So if you really want to be honest, yes, don't judge another person until you're in his shoes. Are we struggling on that on the level, on our own level? Are we demanding of ourselves to overcome our instinct and our habit? On the same level, we're demanding that of the other person. So suddenly you have, a, you have a healthy sense of modesty, a healthy sense of respect. Let me not just jump to conclusions and immediately condemn and judge and dismiss and label. Appreciate that struggle. Appreciate what it means in your own personal life. Do you ever have to, do you ever struggle? Do you ever push yourself to, to, to that extent? Even close to that extent? So if we're, if, if you, we're not superficial, we won't be so superficial about the other person. So yes, it is one of the most difficult, it is the most difficult. Of all the mitzvahs, the most difficult. They asked the Alter Rebbe, which mitzvah is greater? Love your fellow Jew like yourself or love, love Hashem? And he answered, love your fellow Jew like yourself. Because when you love your fellow Jew, you love the Jew within the Jew. You love the divine spark, the divine essence within the Jew. So it really is loving of Hashem. And that is the ultimate love of Hashem. Because, firstly, when you love your fellow Jew like yourself, the mitzvot that are between man and man are also man and God. It, it's a dual mitzvah. And every time you do a kindness... It's a mitzvah of the man and man. It's also a mitzvah of the man and God. And we find by Avram Avinu. Avram put God on hold. And Avram had the greatest revelation in his life, he's ever experienced in his life, at the age of 99, three days after he, he circumcised himself. Heroically, he puts Hashem on hold. It's the most intense, mystical experience ever. Hashem appeared to him. And he saw three nobodies passing through. He didn't know they were angels. They looked like nobodies passing through. He says, Hashem, please wait. I've got to take care of them. And this we learn that it's greater to receive guests than it is to receive Hashem himself. That the mitzvah, the man and man, 
are greater than the mitzvah between man and God. Because firstly, it's dual. When you do a mitzvah between man and man, you're also doing a mitzvah between man and God. That's what Hashem wants you to do. But it's also the ultimate litmus test that, 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 you, that it's real. That you're really in touch with the divine spark inside of you because it's the ultimately selfless, the most selfless, selfless thing to do. There's no ego there. So when you do a favor to another person, it's 100%. It's unquestionable. When you're focusing on your own spiritual growth, it's questionable. Is it genuine? Is it authentic? Is it superficial? Is it deep? Is it real? Maybe it's real, maybe it's not. But when you do a favor for another person, it's unquestionable. It's 1,000% genuine. That's what the Talmud says. If you go down the street and you lose $100, you lose a you lose dollar. And you're upset that you lost the dollar. But a poor person finds it. And you saved his life, is about to starve to death. And the result of this dollar is able to buy a piece of bread. And you literally saved his life. You have a mitzvah tzedakah. The bottom line is, you did something genuine. It's unquestionable. You saved that other person's life. The good deed was done. That kindness was done. It's 1,000%. So when you love a fellow Jew and you're helpful to another person, it's 100%. When your own spiritual growth, your own spiritual, I'm not 100% sure. So when you start out the davening and you start out resolve and I take upon myself to love my fellow Jews like myself, that's 100%. That's, a, that's objective. That's real. Then you're in touch with your neshama. Then you're nurturing your neshama. You're nourishing your neshama. You're connected with your neshama. Now we can proceed and pray and grow spiritually, individually and, and connect with Hashem because we know that it's based on a healthy foundation. We know that it's for real. So it's a precondition. You want to get to Hashem? The path to Hashem is through your fellowship, through kindness, good deeds. For it's davening, you give tzedakah. That deed, that action. There's a beautiful story with the Tzedek. We'll conclude, and then next week we'll conclude the second half of the Hasidic discourse. Tzedek had many questions. It accumulated over time. Many times he would have visitations from his grandfather. After his grandfather passed away, he would have visitations from his grandfather from the other world, and he would answer all his questions. And, you know, for them, this world, that world, was, there was a very thin barrier from one world to the other. So, anyway, one time he hadn't seen his grandfather for a long time, and he accumulated a lot of questions that were really bothering him, and he needed clarification. And, many areas in the Torah, and it pained him. He felt as if a distance, that he's pining for these intimate moments when his grandfather will reveal himself to him and continue to teach him just like he did in his lifetime. And he hasn't seen his grandfather, the soul of his grandfather, for so long. Anyway, one time, he comes to Shul. He comes to Davin, he puts a talus over, his talus already over his shoulders. And in, the, you know, in those days, once a week, they had the marketplace where everyone would come in from the local nearby towns, and they would, there was a big marketplace, everyone would sell their wares. And that's when you made your money for the week. And one of the poor Jews in town came to Samuel Tzedek and asked him for a loan. He says, here's the opportunity to buy wholesale, and he can live from this. He'll be able to feed his family. So someone says, says you know, I'm, I'm davening now. Wait till I finish davening and then I'll... And he dismissed him and he left. When the Jew left, he thought to himself, what did I just do? This is the marketplace. Everyone's, everyone starts early. Starts at dawn. This is his opportunity. Till I daven, someone says, davening, he took his time and he meditated and reflected. This Jew is going to lose his opportunity. So he put down his talus, ran home, took money, ran after the Jew, found him in the marketplace, and said, here's the money. And then when he went back to shul, and he washed his hands, his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, revealed himself to him with a huge smile. He says, the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew like yourself, that he put aside his own daven and was worried about a simple Jew in the marketplace and money and helping a Jew in need, and says, that opened up all the gates. That, the gates of heaven were open, because that's genuine. When a person is focused on your own spiritual growth, either it's 100% or it's not 100%. Either it's 100% genuine or not. 
But when you do a favor to a fellow Jew, when you do an act of kindness, that's 100%. That's as genuine as it gets. And that's the precondition that opens up all the floodgates of your own spiritual growth will open as a result of that. To be continued. Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.